Well, the story we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks, in John, it's fun because there's these different events, and then there's a few chapters of dialogue about those events. So it's, it's sort of a, uh, an in-depth look into what's going on. And the story that we've been looking at is this blind man that has received sight and we get to hear from his parents, we hear from his, about his community, how they view it, uh, the religious folks, church-going folks, Pharisees, how they're, and now we're coming to this place where Jesus goes and finds the guy. And it's been a few weeks that we've been looking at it because it's a, a long section. But, but the story begins, and this verse that we're starting with sort of ties these different components of the story so far together. And I'll try and hit on those components. The, the story started with the followers of Jesus. As this guy came into the view of Jesus, the followers of Jesus uh, started this conversation asking, who sent this man or his parents that he should be born blind? And, and so in the course of following Jesus and the discussion and then relating to Jesus, that type of thing, following Jesus, relating to Jesus, that type of thing, they obviously felt like it involved some sort of sense of looking out at someone else and blaming them for whatever problems it was that they might have. That it involved people maybe taking responsibility for the sin that, that they deemed evident in their life. And when you look at it from our standpoint, what they say is just horrendous. It's pretty much on par with another story that the disciples said, you know, should we call fire down from heaven to consume this whole village? <laughs> it's making these differentiations between us and someone else. That, that somehow they felt like a component or some sort of helpful conversation in terms of following Jesus or following God or deferring to God involves some sort of discussion uh, about uh, you know, how someone else must have been doing something wrong versus how we're doing. Some sort of comparison there on that aspect. And, and that idea sort of continues because as soon as this guy is healed... He's uh, brought before, there's arguments that happen. He's brought before the, the Pharisees. And uh, it says that they asked him, you know, what do you think of this guy? He says he, he is a prophet. And then it says that his parents didn't want to join in in the conversation. They just deferred to him because it said they, they didn't want to be thrown out because they had already decided that anyone who declared that Jesus was the Messiah would be thrown out of the worship. And so, and this guy, as we pick up here, it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. It's picking up on that idea. And then it says, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? The man asked, tell me that I may believe. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Uh, Jesus performed a miracle on the guy, but, but what he did was he put, uh, he spit on the ground, created some mud and put it on the guy's eyes. The guy had never seen Jesus. And then the guy went to this pool and washed, and then he could see. So part of what's going on is he actually had never seen Jesus. 
this is his first encounter seeing him. He, he knew Jesus, maybe you could say by, uh, of course he knew his voice um, because he was blind and he was used to telling people by this voice. And you can tell by the context, he knew it was Jesus. But anyways, the context is, at this very beginning, is this guy being thrown out. And the guy had already been thrown out because of the discussion, not because of the discussion, but because of the type of thinking that the disciples displayed when they said, who sent this man or his parents? They viewed because of his disability that he must have done something wrong. And you can tell his parents were sort of separating themselves from that so the burden would fall on him, that he had been carrying this burden of not being able to join into the worship of God because the people that worshiped God, including the followers of Jesus, considered him to be a sinner. And so there's this, and of course, Jesus, upon hearing this, goes and finds the guy and brings him into worship. And let me just say one last thing. The idea there on worship, people argue about a little bit because in the New Testament and the Gospels in particular, the word is pretty clear, clearly when you look at it in the context, because prior to this and after this, Jesus makes it very clear that his claim was that he was God who came down to earth. And so the worship there is used to show deference to God. Basically, But the word is a general word and could be used in terms of showing deference to a, a landowner or showing deference to a king or something like that. In other words, it's this range of showing deference to someone that you consider to have more power than you or someone, a person that you might consider, or just showing deference to someone that you might feel some sort of sense of uh, welfare attached to, to what it feels like the gospel is bringing us to, showing deference to God for all that. And so the, in other words, the only reason why I bring that up is Jesus is bringing the person clearly from one view of deference to another view. And when he says the son of man, I, sorry, I'm going to do a huge explanation. I just want you to See that I'm not just like pulling this out of thin air. I'm trying to connect it to what's happening here. When when they first came to the man, they said, who do you think this is? And he says, he is a prophet. Now, when he says he's a prophet, he just means there's a million people, or not a million, but there's a bunch of prophets in the Hebrew Bible that brought people to an understanding and convicted them of sin and, and were trying to bring the country to a place of repentance And he's connecting it to that, a person who is good and leading in a direction. In other words, that type of deference, deferring to a person in that sense, one of the prophets. But they also, because we can see that what everyone took that to mean in the case of Jesus, was it says that his parents didn't uh, answer the question because they had proclaimed that anyone that declared Jesus to be the Christ or the Messiah would be thrown out. And so they took him saying he is a prophet to be saying, it was just another way of saying, 
uh, he is uh, the Messiah. And, and so, well, why am I bringing all this up? Because their view of the Savior or the kind of salvation that they thought they knew that throughout the Hebrew Bible, these different prophets had said, look, you need to have repentance for your sins. You, you need to uh, admit that we haven't done things right. And there's going to be a person that's going to bring us to a place of repentance and, and that will lead us in a new direction. And, and the way they interpreted that was that there will be a person that will convict us of our sins and will lead us into not messing up anymore. <laughs> and the reason why they rejected Jesus is because he wasn't going along with that idea. What Jesus was saying was something more connected with where he takes this guy and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, now what's the Son of Man? It says it a bunch of times in the Gospels. And people like Augustine have noticed there's a connection between the Son of God and Son of Man and the dual nature. of. But look, if you just look at it simplistically in the barest sense of the words, he's saying that what you're starting to see and what everyone is looking for is a Savior that's going to lead us in finally getting things right. But the type of Savior that's being talked about and the type of salvation that's being offered here isn't one where one of us finally straightens up and gets things right and then leads everyone else in doing things right. That kind of salvation isn't ever going to happen. It's hopeless. The kind of salvation that Jesus is talking about and that he shows that the Bible is talking about and that he demonstrates is a different message of salvation, which is that God looked down and said, they're never going to be able to get this. They can't bear this burden. They're not going to ever be able to get things right. The only hope for us to have communion is for me to become come down and become one of them and for me to get it right for them. And for me to pay the price, take on the burden of whatever consequences there needs to be for them getting it wrong, I'm going to take even that on myself. That I'm going to completely take that entire burden off of them and carry it in our relationship. And they can't bear any portion of that. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is that what Jesus is leading them from is the idea, worship, the base level deferring. That deferring to God or worshiping God, following God, following Jesus, doing church, whatever it is you want to say attached to that, it in no way, shape, or form involves anything that allows us to distinguish between us and someone else as being we're doing things well and they're doing things bad. Doesn't have anything to do with that. That's a different kind of salvation that's bankrupt. If that was at all hopeful, then there'd be no need for Jesus to be, there'd be no need for there to be a Messiah. What Jesus is saying is that where he leads this guy is deferring means us coming to understand the gift that God gave when he came down and became one of us, the gift that he was going to give on the cross, the gift of giving us a relationship with him. In other words, that 
the difference between someone who is deferring to God and someone that isn't, or someone that's following God and someone isn't, actually has nothing to do with whether they're a better person or look better or doing something better or the thought that we're sort of deferring to God in the sense of God's told us to do this or this or that and now we're doing it. That's what the Pharisees in the story believed, that deference, they say to the guy, why don't you give glory to God and we know this guy's a sinner. What they're saying is, is giving glory to God, worshiping God, being included in the worship, deferring to God, it has to do with us seeing that God is telling us to do something, some sort of ethical rule, and that we demonstrate our deference to God insofar as we do that. And Jesus is saying, well, no one's doing that. Not even the followers of Jesus are doing that. The only deference to God that's there is insofar as what this blind guy says, I don't know who did it. I don't know what happened. As all I know is I was blind and now I see. Insofar as we see the gift of God that's given apart from anything that we might do, that's the only kind of def- real deference that there is. And, and so how does that come about? It's like we've talked about this a million times. I have a I've been the past few weeks on this example of getting a job. I don't know. So I'm just going to stick with this. It's a horrible example. I get it. I've been trying to not give examples. But anyways, you think, well, I got this job. The first instinct is, you know, I've kind of worked hard. I've kind of gotten this. Some sort of thing that sets you apart, right? He's saying, that's not deferring to God. Deferring to God is when you say, this was just a complete and utter gift. I'm just going to give God the credit. I'm deferring to God on it. He says, that's what this is all about. The only distinction between people has nothing to do with who's good and who's not, or who's figured out the right way of doing things and who hasn't, who's figured out, you know, this is how this works and so I'm doing it. There is no distinction on that. These are just fake distinctions that we have. The only distinction out there is when we recognize, oh, this was a gift from God. That's the only distinct, that's the only deference that God sees here on earth. Now it says, the story continues. After this, Jesus takes this as a lesson to his disciples. And he said to the disciples, amongst them, probably speaking, which is an interesting, maybe this isn't the case, but, but it's an interesting thing because the disciples, the story starts with the disciples with the guy standing there as blind talking about this guy who sent this man or his parents to Jesus. And, and then it comes to this conclusion where Jesus, it seems like, is talking to the guy but the disciples are listening about, you know, he's correcting it with, he's using this guy and his, the worship and the camaraderie, the closeness that is found with this guy that had story started as like, oh, this is just a sinner. He's now having that be the basis for the people that were following him to understand something and to learn, which is exactly what the Pharisees rejected when they said, you know, you are steeped in sin at your birth. How dare you lecture us? God oftentimes 
will teach us things through people that we've created uh, this, whether you say false or not, it just is an irrelevant distinction <laughs> between us. But, but it's a side point. It says, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and, the, and those who see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were following him heard him say this and asked, what, what are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. So what's, what's going on there with that? First of all, Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world. There's a bunch of other places where Jesus says, I did not come into this world to judge the world. And so you might ask, well, why is Jesus being contradictory here? He says, I did come for this judgment, and I didn't come for this judgment. What, what he's talking about there is exactly this, the way that people think we're deferring to God and that there's this judgment based on this. I didn't come on that basis of judgment, but I am making a distinction on another basis. And here's the thing that he says. He's talking about people who are following him but maintaining the label Pharisee also. And feeling like, by following Jesus, they're able to maintain the belief system of the Pharisees, but to avoid the guilt and the wrong that the Pharisees were doing. You know, we're not, you can tell that's inherent in there. In other words, they feel like they've got something of value according to this teaching of the Pharisees, but the teaching of Jesus helps put them over the top and avoid the sins and the mistakes that the Pharisees were making, namely trying to kill Jesus, become murderers. We're not mur- it's the same thing as the Pharisees believed that you know, their forefathers did kill all the prophets, but if they were alive, they wouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's a very common thing that we have. We, we see the mistakes of other people, and instead of saying, the way those people were thinking is flawed, we say, no, it was okay, they just messed up, and so we're just not going to mess up in that type of way. The error is in, they messed up, and we're not going to mess up. So when Jesus says, for judgment, I have come into this world, and then he talks about this, what he's saying, just in short, because I don't have time to like go into it anymore, but I'll just tell you what I think it's saying. He's saying, look, if you think that I'm coming into this world to point out that this person's doing this and this person isn't doing this or that, this or that, that kind of distinction, things that would separate us, I'm not doing that. But what I am doing or what I am concerned with, and if you look at, you know, they said of Jesus, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. It's not that the sinners and tax collectors weren't sinners or whatever. It's just he had a friendly demeanor towards them. But with the Pharisees, he was oftentimes very harsh. And so that fits with what he's saying here, that he's, when he does talk about woe to something, he's talking about this concept, this concept that's encapsulated in this little picture here of people that are legitimate followers of Jesus, but still carry the mantle of Pharisee. And for us, that's a meaningless statement because for generations we've t- 
taken Pharisee to be synonymous with hypocrite. And so we just think, mm, well, I mean, I'm not a hypocrite, so whew, I'm not that person. It's not the hypocrite that he's talking about here. What he's saying is, oftentimes, as followers of Jesus, or once we see the gift of God in our life, we think that there's some sort of value in still holding on to this idea that, well, if we can figure out, you know, what God wants, and then we go out and do it, or if we can figure out the law of God and adhere to it, or if we can figure out the right way of getting something done, and then do it, that there's still some sort of value there. So what he's talking about is us in the way that not just these guys refer to, but us and me, the way that I constantly, even though I understand the gift of God, or I'm coming to understand the gift of God and coming to understand the salvation I have. I keep thinking that there's something of value to still hold to some sort of notion of, well, here's the right way of going about doing things. In other words, I'll go back to the job. If you ask me, oh, you need a, a job, I, I will rarely say, because I'm just an idiot, Oh, well, I'll pray for you. I mean, sometimes I'll say it as I could. A lot of times I'll say, oh, well, have you looked, you know, through your resume or have you, you know, figured out, you know, we've got this person in the church that does blah, blah, blah. Or you have to, and it's me feeling like, well, yeah, I understand God's going to give to you, but there's some sort of value in this other kind of talk. <laughs> and Jesus is just saying here, when he talks about judgment, Actually, that's not the case. That's just you sinning. That's just you being sinful. That's not something we like to hear. Well, I mean, we'll think of everything else as sin but that. And we feel like, well, we all have our pet sins that we like to, you know, repent from and come back to. And we got these things and we just feel like this is what makes me a sinner is this couple things that I'm like struggling with and stuff like that. Rarely does it, do we sit here and monitor how much we sin daily, hourly, in every conversation with everybody by adding in, thinking that it's helpful to add in something where, well, this is the right way of doing things, and if you can grab a hold of that, then you won't need the gift of God type thing. It won't need to be a full, just miraculous gift of the blind receiving sight. It'll be, you know, a little bit of both. God helps those who help themselves type thing. The, the, the people that he's talking to, that it's like they define themselves. It wasn't Jesus singling them out. They kept that label. They asked the questions. They're still followers of Jesus in every sense of the word. It's just that the followers of Jesus are, were all sinful in this type of way. And Jesus is just letting them know because the whole conversation started with them thinking that there's something helpful in this idea that who sinned, this man or his parents. Jesus is just letting them know, well, actually, that was just you guys being sinful. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the blind guy. I mean, you're followers of me, but it's just you being sinful. There's a difference 
in the way we defer from God. Jesus is saying the only deference that's real is one where in our heart we realize that we've been given something as a gift. That shows deference. That is where worship starts. That's where the relationship stops, starts. And this other way of thinking that we're obtaining something, that's just us being sinful. And Jesus seems to say in this, and when you look at the context of the way he friend of sinners and tax collectors, but then very sometimes difficult with the Pharisees. This seems to be the type of sin that Jesus, maybe I'm overstating, but I think I'm just going to take this step anyways. I think this might be what Jesus is most concerned about in our lives. And I also think that it, it tends to be the way that we sin the most. It also, I think, might tend to be the way that we devastate our relationships the most. It might be the way that we wreak the most havoc on people. But that might be overstating. But it's definitely a concern of Jesus. And and then Jesus says, why is it a concern? He gives this parable. And we'll look at the rest of what he says about the shepherd, but just this very beginning as it relates to this. He says, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has been brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Because they know his voice. The voice, the message, he's talking about the gospel there, that this is the only way that we have a relationship with God, relationship with other people. But, But what's interesting is that he says, when we go in through this other way, not only is it the reason why it's sinful for us to add in these little things that we think are helpful, that make people think that like, like you know, for instance, when someone, I, I try and avoid this conversation, but inevitably, since I've got like six kids, people will ask me, you know, oh, well, you know, how did you, you know, raise your kids? And I'll inevitably say something stupid about the way that I raise my kids. And that's me sinning. I just need to admit that, <laughs> you know, and it's a distraction, But the reason why it's a sin is because I'm a thief and a robber. And that's what we're used to. If God is the one, let's go back to the job example because that's less personal for me. (laughs) If God is the one that gave me my job and he gave it completely and utterly because of his love and his care for me and no aspect of me being better than someone else was involved, it was just a pure and utter gift. The more that I talk about it in terms of me having done something to deserve it, all I'm doing is trying to steal the glory away from God so that I can have it for myself. And that's what he's saying. It's wrong not just because it's destructive, but it's just what we're used to, what seems normal, and what we're basically saying is a good thing is basically us just being thieves and robbers. 
that God is giving all good things are coming to us from the Father. And any time we talk about it in any other sense than that, it's a sin. And the reason why it's a sin, because all we're really doing is taking all that God has done and tried to take a little bit back and say, well, actually, this part I did. I I did that when we did it. And so we're thieves and robbers. But the good part of the story is, what's the amazing part of the story, is that the entire story from beginning to end is the way in which his disciples were messing up and you start to see more and more the gravity of it. But as Jesus is about to say, I haven't lost a single one, you know? He knows, he understands. You know, so many times we think, oh, well, you know, I messed up on this and, you know. Uh, look, remember this is another example. If you've ever noticed, typically speaking, when, when someone uh, becomes president of the United States after they serve a couple terms, it doesn't matter how old they are. They could be, you know, really young or really older than that. They always come in with hair that's just, you know, full of color and they end gray. <laughs> Why? Because it's a stressful job and everyone knows, you know, what is the wife's tale or something like that, that it causes gray hair, right? You can tell I've had kids. <laughs> I've got some gray. I tried to trim it down a little bit more on the side so it's not so puffy out. You know why I have gray? Probably, I, this is a dumb example because it's probably just genetics, I don't know. But I think it has something to do with some stress. You, you know why I have stress? Because I keep thinking that something's dependent on me and knowing that I just keep messing it up and just being worried. In fact, I feel like my job as a parent is inextricably tied to me feeling worry. And that's actually just me being sinful. That what I should be able to see is that anything good, all the protection, everything that comes to what I want for my kids is going to have to be a complete and utter gift that God gives apart from me. (laughs) Hopefully he'll include me, but it's going to have to be a gift. And if I could grab a hold of that, you know, if I wasn't so sinful in this respect, I I think I might not be as (laughs) gray-haired. You know, what he's saying, he's not saying it to be a burden, like just to heap more gray hairs on top of us. We have enough things in life that cause us gray hairs or, you know, okay, I'll go on to a different example. You know, even giving examples for him, it's like, if you think, yeah. The purpose, the reason why he's bringing this up and he's bringing it up so gently for his followers isn't because he wants to create this distinction between good people and bad. It's because he cares about us and doesn't want us to be carrying this weight that we carry with us that just stresses us out and just robs every ounce of joy that there is out of our life because we're just so stressed and worried because we just can't let go of this sinfulness of just feeling like it has to somehow depend on me. And he's saying it doesn't have to depend on you. 
It can just depend on me. I can carry it. It's okay for you to let me carry it. It's okay. I'm going to carry it. The truth is, I am carrying it. It's not like you are actually carrying it. This is just an illusion, a sinfulness that you've created in your mind that you're carrying it. That's just tearing, creating the stress and everything else. He just wants them to understand he is carrying it. He is going to. He has put things on their heart. You know, when you, he's talking about sheep, he says, you know, sheep that, that you've called. This is maybe the final example. This is, you, you know, when uh, Paul talks about the church, he talks about there's sort of like it has an arm or it has a leg or, you know, those type of things that the, some of the members that are least important or more, different things like that. He gives this analogy of a body. But what most of us pass off on that is understanding that it, you didn't get to choose the body that you have. We, we, we think we get to make the body that we you know, I'm just going to do this and then I'm going for a certain look. Your look was given to you. And you didn't get to choose which arm you're going to have. At some point, we'll grow arms on rats and you'll probably get to choose your arm and all that. But at this point, you just got the arm that you, yeah, it was given to you. The leg you got. It was give, it, everything about the human body was given to you. That's his point. And when you think about church and stuff like that, you know, we're going to have a church meeting and one of the things that we're going to, I mean, our church has membership. I'm not, the more I I used to have an answer for why that is, but the more I think about it, it's like, I don't really know why that is. I'm not sure that that was a good, there's, there's nothing about this church where we're doing anything right. You don't have to be here for too long to have figured that out. I'm pretty sure, you know, it just is what it is. <laughs> but we think, oh, I'm going to look through, you know, I almost said telephone book. I know there isn't such a thing as telephone books anymore. Um, we look and figure this is the church that's the right fit for me. And, and the church tries to be the right fit. Well, that's all ridiculous talk. What it is, is God brings people into our life. And if you're here today, it's because the Lord brought you here for a reason. If you're with someone, friends with them, the Lord's brought you. We started talking about this last week. The the power of looking at the gift is understanding that God knows everything about everybody. And he brought the two of you together or the three of you together, or the four of you together. And we'll sit here and pick each other apart to no end and try and tear that all down and worry and stress and everything else. There was things about his disciples that if it was that sense of a word, he, you know, he, he might not have picked them. Hey, he says, I didn't pick anyone. I just took who the Father gave me. And he has joy in that. And the reason why he's saying it to us is really because he just wants our joy to be made complete. He just wants us to just start enjoying some of the things that he's given us to do. 
without having to stress about what's the right way or whether I've messed this up or of course it shouldn't work out because you've messed up. Of course that's the case. But that's okay because he's going to work it out anyways. He's just saying, I'm taking that burden on myself so that even in this life where everything is messed up, where you're messing up, where this guy is suffering because of everyone messing up, he's just saying, you can have the joy of worshiping and deferring and coming close to me. You can have the joy of connecting with the people that God's given you in your life. And he wants us to just sort of, if we can see... The only difference that he's pointed to, which is the difference of seeing that everything that we have is a gift given to God on the basis of forgiveness. What we find when we first come to Jesus, that we grow into understanding that is always the case. And there is no distinction outside of that distinction we found when we first came to Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Let's stand as we pray, and we're going to have some folks up here praying for you. And and again, this isn't something that's right or wrong. I guarantee you, you know, they're going to pray the wrong way. Sorry. Everyone prays the wrong way. That's why churches have trainings. I'm sorry. Just if you have something that the Lord's put on your heart, If you have any kind of need, we're putting out an opportunity. It's not the right way, but it's a way of just responding and saying, I would like that kind of salvation. I I need that in this sense. Also, if the Lord's been working on your heart and you're saying, I want to become a follower of Jesus, uh, you can come forward also and just let them know and, and they'll pray with you on that too. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for being so patient with us, for loving us, for caring us, for bringing us together with you, for bringing us together as a church. Lord, thank you for your constant forgiveness and how we just cloud this message of forgiveness. Lord, I just pray that you would just really let us cling to this message and this gift and just lift the, the stress off of us. And just really help us to be able to enjoy the work of God this week that's going on in in our lives and in all the different places and in all the different ways that you're bringing us together with, with other people. Help us to be thankful and to enjoy that. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and in the name of the message that you give the gospel. Amen.